You are listening to the Reformand Initiative podcast, where we analyze and discuss Roman Catholic theology and practice from an evangelical perspective. Happy 2020 to everyone. We thought we'd throw you a New Year curveball with a different voice introducing the podcast. It's not the uh, usual voice you hear, although I am sitting next to Clay. Yes. And well, Is this a result of complaints? Did we get, no, did we no, get bad no, ratings no. on iTunes? No. I'm sure we'll get complaints now, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just Clay and I this morning. Yep. Uh, Leo is uh, not with us, uh, but we'll be back with us on the next episode. Um, but my name is Reed Carr. I'm the Associate Director of the Reformian Initiative. Clay, of course, is our Communications Director. And we're back after a long break now. It seems like it's been a while, but... It's been about a month. Has it? I think so, just about. Okay, well, we're happy to be back and follow up on our uh, last episodes in which we've kind of analyzed Vatican II theology a little bit and some of the contradictions that we encounter there and, and how to navigate those from an evangelical perspective. Today, we're actually going to follow up on that conversation a little bit and look at some of the missiological implications of Vatican II and especially what we see in uh, the writings and research and missiology that's coming out of uh, the Roman Catholic academic circle, speci- specifically on on missions and what's what's trending, and uh, and what we see is a uh, clear influence of uh, Vatican II theology and in, in that and in, in what they're writing. So it's very it's it's very interesting. But um, again, we'll dive into that in just a moment. But we do hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and a, a good year. It's hard to believe it's 2020. I remember. 2000 and uh, being at my sister's house and w- with a friend discussing if the world was going to end or not. Remember when Y2K? Y2K. Yes. yes thank you. If all the computers were going to revert to yes, yes. whatever year that was, and the world was going to slowly shut down, but it didn't happen. It did not happen. And here we are, 20 years later. It's hard to believe. Um, but yeah, let's dive into the conversation. Uh, it will require today's conversation will require a little bit of uh, imagination, but uh, Clay's going to do a good job with with helping us do that. But again, we do want to look at the missiological implications of Vatican II theology. So what impact has it had on missions is when the church thinks about uh, its mission. And um, you know, we've, we've made reference in the past to a book that an evangelical wrote. Uh, his name is David Wells. It's called Revolution in Rome. And when we think about missions, uh, David Wells gives us three good questions to think through that will inevitably shape our mission and how we think about doing mission and <clears throat> articulating what the mission of the church is. And he has these three questions. The first one he poses is, what are the origin, nature, and consequences of sin? So, of course, sin is a key topic in thinking through mission. So if our mission is to proclaim Christ crucified, right. um, sin has a huge part to play in that. So what is Sin. What are its consequences? What are its origin and nature? We've already talked about uh, in the uh, nature grace um, interdependence yeah. what the uh, effects of that are, but the importance of that. So you have to think about sin and the consequences of sin, which will inevitably shape your mission and the urgency of your message. Right. Uh, the other question he asks is, what is the significant? What is the significance of Christ's atonement? So what did Christ atone us from? When we're justified through Christ, what are we? What is the implications of that? So, certainly, when we think about mission, what is the significance of that for me, for you, for everyone? Right, which is very important for you and I because we're here in Rome as missionaries. Exactly. 
And the last question he, he asks is, how does the sinner appropriate Christ's saving work? So basically what that's asking is, uh, when he uses that word appropriate, he's saying, how does the sinner make his own what Christ's saving work accomplished? How does he benefit yeah, how's it from applied? that? How does that apply to him? So uh, how does the sinner appropriate that and how does he apply it to his own life? And so those are some questions that we all need to ask ourselves when we're thinking through mission. So today, um, I want to look at, and Clay and I will look at together, a few contributions that even uh, Catholics have made to the uh, missiological conversation over the last years. All these references come from, one comes from 2016, and uh, the other two come from 2019, so they're very, very um, up-to-date, I should say. Um and we're, here's where we're going to use our imagination. So let's, per, let's imagine that we are at a conference mm-hmm. in which evangelicals and Catholics are talking about mission. Right. Okay, so we've come together to say, hey, look, is there any way we can maybe collaborate together? Why don't you share your ideas of mission? We'll share ours, and we'll see what we have in common and see um, maybe, we, that we, maybe we can work together in, in, on certain things. So that's... And that's a that's a very realistic. We're not inventing that. I mean, that happens. Yeah, that is happening. It happens quite often, and so, and and that aspect is very realistic, uh, and very pertinent. But um, but we are going to imagine that these people are here, and, and they're not really here. So that's the that's the part that uh, comes into play here. Good. So the the three theologians that we've invited here, uh, the three Catholic theologians on mission, is um, Mario Menin. He's an Italian uh, Catholic, okay. and he wrote a book in 2016 called Missione, which is just simply the word mission, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is a uh, Catholic um, woman named Mary Mott. Okay. She's out of Rhode Island. And then our last contributor will be another American Catholic named William Gregory. Okay. And so they've all written on mission and written articles contributed to missiological journals, and so that's where we, that's where we are deriving our our information from. So let's, let's say that we have sat down together and the first person that we're going to invite to share a, um, just in a nutshell, his idea on mission is Mario Menin. Okay. So Clay is going to, uh, is going to represent, represent Mario, not only him, but also Mary and William Gregory. Okay. So now, am I supposed to get into character here? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Do I need to speak with an Italian accent? <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. But but let's say let's say that um, that we have we're all at the table now together, and we have introduced Mario Menin, given some of his credentials, and we say, Mario, look, the table's yours. Just in a in a very briefly, if you could, give us your idea, your introductory remarks on mission. Now, of course, here's also where we require a little bit of uh, of um, imagination because we're, we are quoting directly out of his book. Of course, he would <laughs> present it a little bit differently where he's sitting sure. here with us. But so, um, but just know that these are direct quotes from his book. So, Mario, um, thanks for being here, and we would appreciate your thoughts on uh, getting this conversation kicked off. Yeah, okay. Well, we're talking about the, the atoning work of Christ, the mediation of Christ. And to be certain, Christ is not just one mediator amongst many but is an unequaled gift of God to man. Man, therefore, cannot enter into communion with God apart from Jesus Christ being so led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Explicit faith in Christ is the means by which man experiences 
fullness of life. And so the mission of the church has as its principal objective the salvation and conversion of the soul. The carrying out of this mission must take place in a world of religious pluralism. Okay, thank you, Mario. Now, if you notice, those comments ring very true to an evangelical ear. Yeah. We really have no problem with any of those statements. Uh, again, he, he's talking about that Christ is not just one mediator amongst many, mm-hmm. but he's an unequaled gift of God to man. Yeah. So we cannot enter into communion with God apart from Jesus Christ, being so led by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Right. Right. So he explicit faith, he says, in Christ is the means by which man experiences fullness of life. Amen. Amen. The mission of the church, therefore, with if that's true, the mission of the church has as its principal objective the salvation and conversion of the soul. Yeah. Yes. Hallelujah. Uh, and of course, as he says rightly so, that mission must uh, take place in a pluralistic society. Yeah. So religious liberty. Yes. Yeah. Now, here's our point is that most conversations will remain at this level. Yeah. Because Catholicism is able to interact at, at those levels and use that vocabulary. We've talked about the similar vocabulary that we share. Right. So now what we have to do is we have to ask, we have to thank Mario for his introductory statements. Yep. But now let's, let's dive a little deeper. Uh, Mario, thank you for those. And here now what we want to hear is how he sees that mission, um, what's the right word, kind of carried Mar- out. Yeah, through, through Vatican II, through the... Yeah, of course. Now here, what the, the next thing we're going to say is that with his following statements, now we begin to see the influence, the clear influence of Vatican II theology. Right. And specifically, if you go back to the, our pre- previous podcast episode, um, we, we dove a little bit into Lumen Gentium, 16, yeah. right? Yeah, Where so we saw the... 9 real... and 10, episodes 9 and 10. Yeah, and I think it was 10 that we really went into um, Lumen Gentium 16 where we really see some contradictions, you know, where we yeah. have um, Muslims being called our brothers and what implications that has and how do we square that with, um, even with what Mario just said. So here, here is Mario's going to follow up on his, in his introductory statements and just note and look out for the influence of Vatican II and uh, his next statement. So... Mario, could you continue and, and kind of let us get dive a little deeper and, and, and flesh that out a little bit for us? Okay. It would be a theological contradiction to look at other religions in an exclusively negative way. The council, Vatican II, does not permit this, but the council also doesn't consider them to be roads that lead to salvation, but instead present them as preparations to salvation in Christ. Lumen Gentium 16. Yes, in his book here, he quotes and makes reference to Lumen Gentium 16. Okay, so here's he had just made his opening statements that rang very true to an evangelical ear, and then he goes and says, well, it would be a theological contradiction to look at other religions in an exclusively negative way. Yeah. So how does that... See, here's these contradictions that we start to see that start to come out. Yeah, they're leading us to... Uh, to to salvation, they're preparing us. So in in that sense, they're valid. Right, and if we think again about those concentric circles we spoke of last time, that we're somewhere along that journey, everyone being covered by God's grace to some degree, even those of other religions, Mm -hmm. because we can't look at them, as he says, in an exclusively negative way. Right. Because they're all all on that path. You may not be in the center, Mm -hmm. but you're somewhere... You're somewhere along that path. But 
continue, Mario, if you don't mind, and just flesh that out a little bit more. Okay. If then the church's missionary activity values the deepest aspirations and ambitions of man, which are present also in other religions, the church's mission can't be understood as being against those religions, having as its goal the destruction or even the substituting of them. Instead, the goal of the church's mission is to encounter and meet Christ in those religions. Okay. Now we're really getting to some getting somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you think about how that contrasts with his opening remarks. Yeah. In Christ, I mean, you could almost say, yeah, well, in Christ alone, you know, faith, faith, explicit faith in Christ, he said. But now he's saying that the church's missionary activity values the ambitions and aspirations of man. Here we here we see um, the nature grace interdependence on you know the 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 inherent good of yeah. man on display. Yeah, and and of course that's present in other religions. So the church's mission we can't understand it as being against those religions. No, no, no. It has as its goal that it doesn't have as the goal as its goal the destruction or even the substituting of them. No, no. Instead, we need to find Christ in those religions and celebrate that. Right. So let's find. Christ in Buddhism. Let's find Christ in, in Hinduism. Let's find Christ in Mormonism. Mormonism, Islam. Yeah. Which I mean, that's a big, that's a big stretch there. But yeah. because our goal and our mission is not to substitute those, or or we're not against them. Instead, the goal of the church's mission, quoting meaning is to encounter and meet Christ in those religions. So, yes, explicit faith in Christ, but encountering Him through all religions and not substituting them. We can't, we're not going to ask somebody to walk away from their faith. We're all in the same continuum here, in a sense. So here we, start, we begin to see Vatican II, Lumen Gentium 16 on full display and how that shapes mission and the idea of mission. Yeah. But he continues. Okay. Concerning God's desire that all men are saved, it is here that we see the contributions of Vatican II, which, when compared to previous ideas of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, Mm -hmm. such as extra ecclesium nulla salus, must be understood as being much less narrow-minded and closed off. Okay, so we're not inventing anything here. He's actually, he's openly acknowledging the contributions of Vatican II, not to mention he's already quoted most of their documents heavily on, relies heavily on Lumen Gentium 16 for the articulation of his idea of mission. So, remember, if you remember Lumen Gentium 16, it required it relies heavily on this idea that God desires all men to be saved. Yeah. So that means he, I guess, he will save everyone. Why wouldn't he if he desires all men to be saved? So then you can take that and and flesh that out. Uh, and so we, we see this very different idea. I think we spoke about it in episode 10. You know, here he says, extra ecclesium nulla salus. What does that mean, Clay? Outside of the church, Out, yeah. there's no salvation. Outside of the church, no salvation. Yeah. No, no. He says that's way too narrow-minded. So our, that was the uh, previous idea of soteriology. Again, what, as Clay said, that's the doctrine of salvation. Yeah, exclusive. So before it was that. You're either in the church or you're outside of the church. Right. You're either saved or you're not saved, which is uh, soteriology that we wouldn't, Hold to, or you're either know Christ as Savior, you confess Him as Lord of your life, yeah. or you don't, and you're not saved. That now, in light of Vatican II, is way too narrow-minded. We can't think that way. Remember, as he said before, our, our goal and mission is not to uh, substitute or uh, other world, world religions or look at them in a negative way. Yeah. No, no, it's to find Christ in them and right. celebrate them, yeah. because there's inherent good in all of us, 
even the um, you know Buddhists or the or the Hindus. So <clears throat> that's just to say this is our first um, Madhya is our is our first example, and to see that to highlight, I suppose, the necessity of diving into these conversations. If we leave things on a superficial level, then we all agree. Yeah. But There's we, a lot of that going on right now. Yeah, a lot of that going on right now, but we have to really get to the heart of things. And to get to the heart of things, we have to understand Roman Catholicism and the and its systemic characteristics, yeah. as, we, as we've spoke about uh, many times throughout throughout the, this podcast thus far. But let's, let's introduce our next participant. Her name is Mary Mott. She's from... Uh, Rhode Island. She's been riding on mission for many years. Uh, we don't have the time to delve into her whole um, uh, resume, but um, Mary, thank you for being here. And the same question to you, if you could just kind of give some introductory uh, statements into what you see as, as the goal of the mission of the church. Yeah, as I wrote in my book, Signs of a Future Transformation and Mission, Reaching into the time-honored tradition that begins with the gospel, Pope Francis reminds us that evangelization is essentially obedience to the missionary mandate of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, as it is written in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Missionary disciples today must ask God how God calls us. So this discernment is necessary since everyone is, quote, asked to obey the call to go forth from our own comfort zone in order to reach all the peripheries in need of the light of the gospel. Okay, thank you. So basically, Mary, if I understand you correctly, your idea of mission is just obedience to the Great Commission and to making disciples and baptizing people of all nations and, and going forth with the, with the gospel message. That's what I said. Okay. So again, here, here we see... Some things we would say amen to, no? Amen. So, yeah, of course, how could we say in, uh, in response to someone's uh, idea of the Great Commission being the fulfilling of mission is no, no, no. Of course, that's, that's what we believe as well. Yeah. Right? Now, just as we did with Mario, though, we need to have Mary kind of flesh out what that looks like. Okay, so your idea, Mary, is to fulfill and obey the Great Commission. So what, yeah. is that, what does that look like? For the church now, Mary comes prepared as many good preachers and people do with a three-step, a three-pronged response yeah. to that question, right? So, fulfill, fulfill the Great Commission, and here's how we're going to do it in in three steps. So, uh, Mary, if you could, what's the what's the first step? Well, the first step is care of the poor. Okay, so, so care of the poor is yeah. our first step, and what does that what does well, that look like? So, not ignoring the importance of activities and programs of promotion and assistance. The actions of the Holy Spirit in fostering attentiveness towards the poor, considering them as one with ourselves, which means projecting a loving attentiveness, is the beginning of a true concern for the person. So we are called to grow in awareness of their goodness, their experience of life, their culture, and their ways of living the faith. Okay, thank you. Now, just a, a quick reading of that. There's not, there's not too much that we would have an issue with um, you know, we all, of course the the church needs to care for the poor. Yes, uh, but now with our a little with our understanding of Roman Catholic theology and the and its system that it's built on that we've um, come to understand in these first episodes of the podcast, we have to we have to 
be a little bit cautious about one thing that she says here. She says that we are called to grow in awareness of their goodness. Goodness. Yeah, these other things are are fantastic. Any healthy missionary is going to grow in the experience of life, their culture, their ways of living, their faith. But yeah, you're right. right. That's that's a red flag. So it's a red flag because now we understand um, where that's where, where that's coming from. Yeah, it's coming from an understanding of inherent goodness in mankind. That yeah. not an inherent sinfulness. A broken nature, but a nature that has been damaged by sin, but not a, but it still maintains goodness, right? Um, and that uh, plays a role, so that so that that goodness is celebrated amongst mankind, and not and so that we're not asking people to step away from their uh, a faith that doesn't affirm Christ as Savior, but try to find Christ in that and affirm their goodness. So here is just a little red flag that we have to raise our um, a, a flag, I guess, at is in this. Calling this calling that Mary says to to recognize the goodness in people, and, and and we'll see that that is fleshed out a little bit more. So that was step one, care of the poor. What about step two, Mary? Yeah, step two is the care of creation. At the beginning, um, creation is presented as a common home, which is like a sister with whom we share our life and a beautiful mother who opens her arms to embrace us. Praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us and who produces various fruit with colored flowers and herbs. All right, herbs. So, so Mary, um, our, our listeners will be a little bit confused about what you're re- referencing. Um, you're reading from a document, but so w- what document were you referencing exactly? Was that Laudato Si from Pope Francis? Yes, that is exactly right. Okay. Yeah, so Pope Francis wrote a document about creation care in a sense called Laudato Si, Praise to You, My Lord, mm-hmm. would be the best English translation. And so the, the, could, you, could you read for us again the first lines of that document? Sure. At the beginning of Laudato Si, it says, Praise be to you, my Lord. Through our sister, yes. Mother Earth, capital yes. S and capital... Capital M, capital, capital e. e. Okay, okay. Who sustains and governs us. Yes, it is, it is Mother Earth who does so. And produces various fruit with yes. colored flowers and herbs. That's right. Okay. So there, is, there was an influential document... I, I, I suppose it's been influential. Anyway, it's a, it's a document that Pope Francis wrote on creation care called Laudato Si, and it's, it's a little bizarre, uh, and uses language such as referring to um, the earth as our sister, our mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this is, this is part two of her, of her three-pronged approach. So care of the poor, care of creation, and part three? Part three is uh, toward Christian unity and relations through dialogue. So a church that goes forth brings us into the multiple richness of ways people seek God, the Holy One, the Creator, and the multiple religions of the world. So true and deep friendship is an important aspect of these relationships. The experience of so many living and witnessing in contexts where followers of other religious faiths are the, are the majority has led to a profound conviction and belief and action that our dialogue with one another is in the first place a conversation about human existence. Okay, so this is the, the kind of concluding aspect of what it means to live out the Great Commission. Yeah. We have to take care of the poor, take care of the creation, and then we have to think towards Christian unity yeah. and relations through dialogue. So as, as she says here, the, the church that goes forth brings us into the multiple richness of the ways people see God. This is almost the exact same that Mario Menin said, no? Right. And, and recognizing and celebrating the, the goodness in man and uh, that we share as being 
human beings. Yeah. And so um, in the multiple religions of the world, same exact thing. So true and deep friendship is an important aspect of these relationships. And we experience that true and deep relationship not by trying to convert you from your religion to mine, not having you renounce your faith and, and professing mine. No, no, we need to celebrate the, what we share in common. We need to share, celebrate the goodness that we have. So that's uh, a very clear reading of, of um, Mary's document. Again, Clay was reading quote, direct quotes. So think about that again. The opening statement was, fulfill the Great Commission. Yeah. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, go forth. But going forth for her is creation care, care of the poor, and in a religious dialogue. Now, should believers be taken care? Do we need to have a creation theology? Do we need Absolutely. to have a theology of the poor? Yes. Absolutely. But it needs to be rooted in and shaped by and defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Which is an exclusive message for everyone. Not a popular one. But So let me ask you something, Clay. If you were going to, if you were tasked uh, with writing a mission, developing and articulating a mission for your your church that you're a part of. What, just some basic key words, what vocabulary would have to um, be present to articulate a biblical mission? Well, I think one thing we see missing in, in these quotes that we've listened to previously is the mention of sin. Uh, we, we're not hearing the word grace. We're not hearing forgiveness. Uh, and so even even when talking about the mediation, the work of Christ, we're not hearing of salvation as something that comes through repentance and faith. We're not hearing about the resurrection. Uh, we're not hearing about redemption or judgment or hell. Uh, these are the things we're missing. And, and so our statements, our missions, obviously talk about the exclusive nature of Christ, the necessity of repentance and faith in Him as the only mediator, those things are missing, I think. And, uh, and so, yeah, social gospel. Yeah, in fact, uh, just to underscore what Clay has been saying and in, in reading very carefully this article that Mary uh, produced, or again, which was called Signs of a Future Transformation and Mission, uh, the word cross, the word salvation, the word repentance, the word resurrection, the word redemption, the word judgment, hell, justify, they are nowhere to be found in this um, in her idea of mission. The word sin is present, but it only is in reference to Pope Francis's realization that he's a sin- sinner. Mm. That's the only time that sin is mentioned. Grace is also mentioned, but it's not ever articulated. You have no idea exactly what grace is based on just the reading of this argument. Right. Forgiveness is also mentioned once, but it is in, again, reference to Pope Francis and his understanding that he needs forgiveness. That's it. But cross salvation, salvation is not even present in this article mm-hmm. on mission, repentance, nothing. So again, go back to those questions that, uh, think about those questions that, um, sorry, David Wells proposed. What are the origin, nature, and consequences of sin and how that impacts, uh, inevitably will shape our mission. Those words aren't even there. They're not even there. Sin is not present. What about his Christ's atonement? Again, totally absent. What about Christ's saving work and how a sinner benefits from it and makes it his own and appropriates it? No, it's totally, totally absent. So we have to, we have to, uh, you know, be concerned about that, um, as easy evangelicals. And, And this is, this is the danger of Vatican II theology. 
because what happens in this idea of interreligious dialogue um, is that what ha- what is inevitably watered down and, and is is removed from the conversation is what the gospel. Um, <clears throat> so so anyway, we we have one last uh, contributor to our roundtable discussion, and this is uh, William Gregory an American Catholic, and he wrote an article called Pope Francis's Effort to Revitalize Christian, Christian Mission. Um, so if you could, if you could uh, William, I appreciate you being here, if you could just kind of give us an idea of some opening statements of, of what you have in mind when you, when you talk about uh, Pope Francis's idea and effort to revitalize Christian mission. Sure. Well, let's talk about a pastoral and missionary conversion uh, is needed on, on every level which cannot leave things as they presently are. The church needs to put all things in a missionary key so that the missionary outreach is paradigmatic for all the church's activity. Then Francis's dream of a church of missionary disciples for whom missionary activity is intrinsic to their very being and identity. So mission involves love, and love always involves closeness to other people. To engage in mission means going forth. It means closeness or encounter. One cannot evangelize without closeness. We need to step out and encounter others. Okay, thanks. So, again, we, if I understood you correctly, we have this idea similar to that of Mary of going forth and going out, being close to people, encountering others. Um, I'm sure you'll dive into this a little bit, but you talk about the need of a pastoral and missionary conversion, yeah. which is needed on all levels. And uh, Francis has this dream of a, a church of missionary disciples. That sounds really nice. Um, for whom missionary activity is just intrinsic to who they are. It's just basically in their DNA. So uh, that sounds really that sounds really great. I, you know, I'm an evangelical, but it doesn't surprise me that you would uh, speak about Pope Francis. But if you could just dive in a little bit to how you see that being fleshed out and and put into practice and accomplished. Sure. So clarification on the mission. Well, first, I would say in his own actions, Francis has demonstrated to the church what mission is. He has visited prisons and refugee camps, promoted peace and interreligious cooperation, advocated advocated for refugees and the environment, and every one of those other typical missionary activities just noted, charitable actions, efforts to promote promote justice, uh, the common good and defense of the vulnerable, ecumenical and interreligious dialogue and cooperation, environmental stewardship, and proclamation of the gospel. Okay, so this is um, step one. To implementing your idea, so this mission clarification, which uh, I think Francis talks about, and uh, he's in, in what you're saying is he he is kind of the example for this. He's demonstrated well to the church what mission is, and his being out there and going forth and being near and close to others, and his prison ministry, going to refugee camps, mm-hmm. promoting peace, promoting, of course, interreligious cooperation. He's advocated for refugees. He's advocated for the environment. Um, so he's been very uh, exemplary in these, uh, and, and you really focus too on this ecumenical and interreligious dialogue mm-hmm. and cooperation, environmental stewardship. So echoing a little bit what Mary Mott talked about in creation care and proclamation of the gospel. Now the gospel doesn't get articulated here, but so that mission clarification is is step one. But again, we see this strong emphasis on interreligious dialogue, celebrating yeah. the the importance of that. What about what about step two? Sure. Well, mission motivation. So to sum up, humility, hope, and mercy, the church needs these qualities. And the first of these is very familiar, the quality of mercy or compassion. Pope Francis continually calls the church's attention to those who suffer most in the world, 
to those wounded by physical affliction, torn relationships, lack of opportunity, violence, injustice, loneliness, immorality, and every other form of pain and desolation. In his view, a vital missionary church heals the wounded of the world. So his famous field hospital image of the church best captures this quality of mercy. Okay, so you had mission clarification and mission motivation, right? And so we have to be motivated. Once we're, once we're clear on what our mission is, then we have to be motivated to carry it out. Yeah. And, and, we, and what motivates us are the, the needs of the world, this mercy and compassion and, um, and healing the wounded of the world. And, the, and like, as you said, Pope Francis talks often about this field hospital mm-hmm. image that the, ho- the church needs to be like a field hospital. Um, and, and so that would be step two. What would be step three? Step three would be a mission correction. So Francis seeks to remedy the problem of defective mission or defective pastoral presence. So the church must have the tenderness of a loving mother. As a mother's heart is always open to her children, even when they do regrettable things, so the hearts of Christians must always be open to others. The church is not meant to be a nest protecting our mediocrity, a closed group, but home to all people. And since the gospel is good news for all people, without exception, and our mission is to offer God's love to everyone, everyone with all of his or her problems needs to be made to feel included and welcomed because this is how God relates to each of us. Okay, thank you. So here we have um, William, William Gregory proposing this three-pronged approach to basically living out this mission, right? It's mission clarification, clarifying what our mission is, then being motivated to it, and lastly, mission correction. So what correcting mistakes of the past. Yeah. And that goes back on that uh, idea of the, the church not being inward-looking, but outward-looking, being with the poor, which is an admirable yeah, we would message. Say but, but if you read his, his line here, I think that it, again, reveals the influence of Vatican II, is that everyone with all of his or her problems needs to be made to feel included and welcomed because this is how God relates to us. Now, that could, we could say, that sounds nice. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. We, we actually put uh, this article in the last because it would, it's the most difficult to, to kind of read through the lines. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's the one that requires most an, an understanding of Vatican II theology and, and the system of Roman Catholicism. But uh, again, in this article, if you read it, there is a stark absence of key vocabulary words. Forgiveness is not found once in that article. Repentance, redemption, judgment, hell, justification, anything along those lines is absent. The idea of salvation and an articulation of that or sin, grace, cross, these words, if they're found, they're, they're uh, either not explained at all or just made in a reference like we're sinners and, and are generally assumed. Re- assumed. But one thing we note in all of these articles is a complete absence of the idea of sin and judgment Mm. and hell. The need to repent. The need to repent, to turn away from our past life and go in a 180 turn. Yeah, it sounds like they want mission to help others see the goodness that they already have within them. Right. Rather than helping them understand that they are not good. Even the good that they do, they do uh, for the wrong motives and that they need to repent. And right. trust in the only one who was ever good. And this is the influence of Vatican II. That's what we're, we're showing. We're following up our previous discussion on the implications, the contradictions. And what does that look like when we put it into even missiological terms and conversations? When Muslims are our brothers, according to 
um, lumen gentium 16. When um, we're, we're all brothers, in a sense, we're celebrating our good, what happens is there's no talk about judgment. There's no talk about hell. Right. And if, if there's no judgment, then the cross makes zero sense. Hmm. Zero. Salvation is, is, makes no sense if there's, not a price, if there's not consequences for our sin. So again, we go back to those, those first questions asked by um, David Wells. David Wells. Yeah. You know, what are the origin, nature, and consequences of sin? If sin's not part of the conversation, then that's not going to shape at all our mission, and that's what we see with, um, that's what we see with Vatican II. So what is, the, what is the result, again, of a missiology that doesn't articulate sin and doesn't even mention it? It's a, it's a missiology that doesn't have a much, much place for the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in these in these articles. So again, we have to understand the implications of Vatican II and those contradictions that we see and how they are played out and how they influence mission. And there's one last article I wanted to mention, um, and we won't have Clay read it, but it's just a a final example of what that missiology produces, a missiology that is influenced by Vatican II and especially uh, Lumen Gentium 16. And there's a uh, Catholic theologian, she's an American as well. Her name is Dawn uh, Northware. I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce her last name, but it's N-O-T-H-W-E-H-R. And she wrote an article that was contributed to a missiological journal, um, a Catholic missiological journal called For the Salvation of the Cosmos, the Church's Mission of eco-justice. So again, an, a missiological journal and her contribution to mission, and it's this idea of a mission of eco-justice. And in this article, she proposes three thought experiences that will help us to, uh, I suppose, realize this, this mission of eco-justice. And her first thought experiment is called Blue Marble, uh, the community of creation. And, and uh, here she invites us to meditate on planet Earth as seen from the moon. And I'm reading, I'm quoting from her article. Observing the vast variety and intricacies of creation from blue whales to water and air, the whole biosphere, the community of creation. All comes from one gracious, loving God, she says. Every cre creature with its relationship is held in existence by the same vivifying giver of life. And in the end, all will be gathered into the new heavens and the new earth. All will be. Thought experiment two, from pyramid to circle. Traditionally, the pyramid symbolizes a hierarchical, often oppressive kind of rule or authority. Past understandings of Christian anthropology held that the human person is far superior to any other creature of God's creation and could therefore deal with other creatures of creation for primarily, if not only, for their own benefit. We are thus now invited to correct the mistaken interp interpretations of the biblical term dominion which became the basis for rationalizing planetary degradation in the name of the divine mandate. And then she um, makes reference to a uh, catechetical session she attended on her church, which was uh, exploring the theme of creation care. And she says this, she says, A few days after this catechetical session, I recalled the carbon footprint calculation I had done during the evening session described above. I had discovered that my personal carbon footprint was double the U.S. average and 10 times the world's average. I was convicted that my use of carbon was sinful. I went to individual confession and confessed this sin, saying to the priest, I recognize that my personal use of the world's resources is sinful in its impact on creation. I am sorry and seek to change my carbon footprint 
on the environment. So I say that not to make fun of the idea or to, to bring to light the idea of, of watching our carbon footprint. I think we, obviously, as I said, we, the church has to have a theology of creation care. Yeah, absolutely. We, we need to do that. That's not the, the point here is to say that that's not uh, important. But the, the issue or, or what we're drawing attention to here is the total lack of, of the gospel. And so the mission has become care of the cosmos right. with no articulation whatsoever or no presence of the gospel in it. So that sin, is, this, is the word sin present in this article? Yes, but what is it in reference to? A carbon footprint. Yeah. And so, um, again, in this one as well, no mention at all of forgiveness or repentance or hell or judgment. And so uh, mission has become, uh, it, 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 if, if you're going to remove those words from it, then yeah, we're going to have to rally around something that we can all agree on yeah. and, and creation care and, and uh, social good, which are important things, but the gospel cannot be removed from that. Mm. The good news is about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and what he saves us from, yeah. which is judgment and hell. So again, um, we have to be careful as, as evangelicals to not be fooled by introductory statements, uh, you know, in this case, that sound just like what we would say. And so we, we remain there and, and go on. We have to dive into them. We have to understand how Catholic theology works and functions. And we have to understand its implications and how it depends today on Vatican II theology. And, and you could say, well, there's plenty of conservative Catholics out there that would write different articles on missiology. Mm-hmm. And that's true. What we're doing, this is how missiology is trending. Mm-hmm. It's a representation of Vatican II theology. But even more conservative, conservative articles would be bound to uh, the, the Catholic system. Yeah, It's bound to it. It can't go outside of those bounds of a works-based uh, theology that celebrates goodness of man and um, the, the Christ-Church interconnection. But anyway, I think we're probably over time, aren't we? Yeah. I, I would just add that another good resource for our listeners can be found on the Vatican Files website that goes a lot, uh, it goes very well with the things that Reed's been saying, and it's uh, Vatican File number 145, uh, written by Leonardo January 1st in uh, 2018, and the title of Vatican File 145 is Mission, Did Pope Francis Say Mission?, uh, in which he, he analyzes Pope Francis's book, The Joy of the Gospel, uh, which you'll, you'll see a lot of similarities between the, the quotations that, and the citations we used in our show today. So check that out, vaticanfiles.org, uh, under previous articles, Vatican File 145, Mission, Did Pope Francis Say Mission?, and we'll share that on our social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, again, uh, to overemphasize what we're saying is the point of these articles is not to to belittle creation care or, or stewardship of the environment. Um, in fact, as churches, as we've said multiple times, but just to underscore again the importance of developing a, a healthy biblical theology of that. But if it is ever void of the gospel, then we've missed the boat. Yeah, exactly. And, and it has to be part of, of uh, our appeal to creation cares as, as the gospel responds to that as well. Yeah. But if Vatican II ultimately says that everyone's included, as long as they follow their own goodness, which we know is not a biblical understanding of humanity, then you see there is no need to focus on repentance and sin. Right. That's what you, exactly what we see here. And that's what we get, is a social gospel. Uh, lastly, again, we want to remind our listeners to explore um, a friend of ours and a sponsor of ours, which is Union School of Theology. 
if you're looking to ex- deepen your theological understanding or, or work towards a degree or just serve your church better, then uh, we're very thankful for our friends at Union School of Theology. So go check them out, see how uh, what they offer might be able to to prepare you better for um, your church and, and, and ministry. And uh, their website is ust.ac.uk. And um, so check them out. Again, Happy New Year to everyone. It's a little bit into 2020, but um, blessings on your year. And until next time, God bless.